0: Welcome to another episode of Queer Tales. To start, I have two announcements. Just following on from last week, I announced Dragging Up the Past is a documentary coming out on February 12th. It's about the drag community here in Cork and the history of it. It's a project that was done with MTU Cork LGBT and Gay Project. So it's well worth checking out and I have a link in my bio on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter if you want to get tickets to that event. Second thing I want to announce is there's another podcast run by Robert and Jake O'Sullivan. Do you want some? It's lovely. Um I'll put a link to their Spotify probably when I announce this episode and if you want to check it out, I it's great. the first episode's about coming out. Um we haven't touched on that in this podcast yet, so it'd be great to check out their one as well. So I'm here today with Kevin Conlon. He is our guest and our topic is through the stethoscope. So do you want to just tell people a little basic idea of what you're all about?
1: Sure, why not? That doesn't sound at all challenging in, in two seconds. Um, my name is Kevin, like you said, I work as a pediatric doctor in Cork at the minute I've worked all around the country at different yep. stages. And that's about as
0: interesting as my life is getting at the minute anyway. <laughs> I think that's more interesting than most of us, really, at least you're working (laughs) there. So I usually get every guest to just kind of identify themselves in terms of gender, pronouns and sexuality just to kind of be inclusive. So I usually start myself just to give an idea of what that entails. So I am a cisgender male, so I use he, him, his pronouns and I am gay. You want to fire away? in the exact
1: same boat. I have no fancier way to say exactly what you just said, but I don't okay, want to right. exactly be
0: word for word. <laughs> no worries. And then the last question before we get started is why did you want to be on the podcast?
1: I don't really know that either. Um, I You really shouldn't have picked me as a guest so far. thrown <laughs> my way. Um, I suppose I thought the idea of the podcast was very good um and i knew it was in its early stages and i know you from charity work back in the day so i suppose i wanted to support it and i thought it was an interesting idea i'd want to listen to it so why not be on it not that evidently i have any answers worth giving but
0: (laughs) that was a great answer so i don't know why you're putting yourself down (laughs) perfect so we'll get started uh the first question i have is what are your experiences with coming out in the workplace well that's quite interesting i think because i suppose everyone thinks coming out is like a a once-off big
1: you know confetti and rainbows and that's it that's done but realistically, you come out every time you you share that part of your life with someone and no different in the workplace so every every time you have to tell a colleague this fact about your life that most of the population doesn't have to tell you're coming out i suppose in my workplace the way medicine works in terms of training until you're a consultant you're always moving so interns change jobs every three months SHOs which is the next step in the ladder change job every six months and if you're lucky when you get to be a registrar you only have to change your job every year but we'll say in my case in my first six in my first three years I had worked in six different hospitals in four different provinces in Ireland so that's a lot of coming out you know yeah. if you're lucky when you get established and you're staying in a particular field other people who know you kind of do the job for you and, and kind of whisper and and you know it's great when the grapevine takes over for you but it can be i suppose obviously there's a certain amount of being nervous about it because you're not sure how people are going to take it but also it's just bloody exhausting you know because you know you're going to get the same questions all the time that you won't have to not sound like you're exhausted by giving the answers to yeah Um, so i suppose that's that's my experience of it
0: yeah and i think that's kind of a universal experience And no matter where you work, like there's definitely that difference that you do swap around and meet all these new people when you're working in healthcare. But even myself, like anytime I bounce between different retail jobs, it's always that new staff and you're like, oh, at what point is it appropriate that I just like bring this up to get it out of the way? And it's kind of weird that it like it needs to be a thing, but it it does because it is kind of a big part of your life.
1: I find there's two types of, of people. There's the people who just normally ask you questions that they'd ask anyone else about. Your life and there you have to you know do I have the energy to actually tell them all of this now and then there's yeah. people who bust you out to begin with and they're kind of asking very deliberate leading questions because they want to know they're they're half sure maybe more than half yeah. sure,
0: and they're trying to figure it out
1: but like a, and do you have a partner anyone who uses the word partner <laughs> knows what the story is
0: yeah <laughs> partner is code for I'm in a same-sex relationship basically <laughs> Yeah, or I won't marry them for legal reasons one or the other <laughs> so the next one then is what are your experiences with being gay in healthcare workplaces that might differ from other workplaces
1: well i suppose i've mentioned already the fact that there's so much more changing of jobs and changing of colleagues Um yeah. i suppose the other thing with healthcare is you're meeting lots of people in terms of patients on a day-to-day basis and often you're seeing patients at a very vulnerable time in, in their lives yeah which of course is is a great privilege but then you wonder how vulnerable can you make yourself and particularly, I suppose, now I can't say I've ever had any significant negative experience, but there is definitely the unpleasant claims about uh, gay men working with children. And, uh, you know, it's obviously baseless, but it's something yeah. that, you know, you could have a concern about if, you know, how open should you be about your life? Because who might decide because of their own ideas that this is something that I need to do something about and target someone for something completely separate to their, their job? You yeah. again, can't say have any significant. The, the worst things ever happened to me is, is a a mother went, oh well, you wouldn't understand because you don't have kids. When I was trying to, you know, <laughs> offer their child healthcare, But, you know, okay. Oh lord. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's plenty of people who've have been told worse things by mothers in a healthcare setting, so I can't really cl- complain too much about that now.
0: Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, it's so sad that like that prejudice kind of exists. The concept that like gay men shouldn't work with children because there's that ties to paedophilia that some people seem to think exists. And it's like, I have no idea where that came from. And it's kind of shocking to hear that it still persists nowadays as well. I would have kind of hoped that we were kind of beyond that point.
1: We were beyond that point. And then when Roderick O'Gorman became Minister for Children, yeah. and the, there was an explosion of very horrible things, you know, stuff that any person with an opinion can say things, but when it gets to the stage where enough yeah. people are saying that, you know, officials in the government have to reply and respond and offend a person then you're you're thinking this is a little more
0: widespread than i would have initially guessed it would have been yeah this is why we stay out of the comment section whenever you go to the news articles <laughs> or anywhere really <laughs> yeah true <laughs> so next question then is what contact have you had with the queer community in your professional life so again you see people at their most vulnerable in,
1: in healthcare and you know i work in pediatrics which is in ireland anyway pediatrics is considered to end at 16 years of age more or less you know a child who might have a, a a lifelong condition like diabetes or epilepsy you usually see them until they leave secondary school but in general 16 years of age so that kind of late pediatric stage which is kind of mid-teens you can see an awful lot of children coming in with kind of mental health issues and yeah, that wouldn't be my primary area we have um the services called CAMS, Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services who would be kind of the primary people who deal with children adolescents mental health issues but you know they're not around at three in the morning when the kids come into hospital which would be when when pediatrics would be around so yeah, yeah you would see people whether it's self-harm violence in the home um, eating disorders um, now it's a small percentage of those that are related to either uh, sexuality or gender Mm-hmm. Um, but there it's a bigger percentage than you might otherwise guess you know yeah and uh, it it's tough to watch as well because i suppose it's tough to go through in and of itself but it depends on the support that a person has from their family yeah whether it's going to go reasonably well or things are going to go disastrously Um. and usually i see them when they're kind of
0: veering more towards the latter than the former Jeez. And have you seen like an increase in that during COVID and everything because I know domestic violence has kind of went on the rise uh following the first kind of lockdown and everything
1: so look luckily enough for me
0: in terms yeah. of COVID
1: since July I've actually been working in, in neonates which is newborns okay oh, Yeah, yeah COVID free area as COVID goes um but at this, you know the, the hospital the maternity hospital in Cork is linked to the main hospital and I worked in the main hospital for 18 months so I, I know the story there There was one stage, the big thing that comes in over a winter normally in pediatrics is viral chest infections, viral lung infections. Yeah. Um, There was one stage where there wasn't a single viral chest infection in the baby ward. And in the upstairs ward, half of the patients that were in were in because of eating disorders. And normally you might get one eating disorder in the whole ward. Yeah. And for it to make up 50% of the intake. It's, it's remarkable, really, but then we're living in remarkable times. And yeah, for about this time last year, I think just the duration and the extent of lockdown has taken its toll on everyone and what it means beyond just the pubs being shut, which seems to be the big thing for an awful long time. Um, it's, it's obviously a lot more than that at this stage, and it's having its toll yeah. on people in all realms of
0: life and all ages. And uh, that's just one example, I suppose. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that eating disorders became so rampant during this time, but it kind of makes sense, I suppose, if everyone's at home, they're watching what they're eating a lot more.
1: I think a part of it, I think, is that it's it's a manifestation of stress. Yeah. I don't know, it's a way of someone trying to control an aspect of their life when the rest of their life seems to be out of control. Yeah. Um, now, that, that's my take from it. Again, I haven't actually worked with, since since July with yeah. any children outside of, brand new freshly born tomatoes, but <laughs> that's my impression is that it it's on the rise as many it's a form of stress because everyone is stressed at the moment. There's other ways that this stress is manifesting that yeah. we maybe don't see in an acute hospital setting, but
0: it is still out there, and this is just the one that's serious enough that people need to come into the hospital that's true, yeah, and then so you were telling me before when we had our meeting before this a bit about. Uh, what the transitioning process is for transgender youth. If you want to detail that, because that, like, that was news to me. I didn't know any of that information before. So hopefully the listeners might take something away from it as well.
1: So it, it's been a while since I worked. Um, so endocrinology would be the specialty yeah. um, and it deals with hormones. And so it's the specialty that tends to, to deal with transgender people and their healthcare needs. It's been a while since I've worked in, in that department, but really in terms of under 16s, you're kind of looking at, at Dublin being the only place you can go for, for any healthcare needs. So the, it's kind of a two-step process, I suppose, for for patients who are considered paediatric. Um, yeah. The first step is formal assessment with um, a professional trained in that field to determine that, I suppose, you, you are suffering from gender dysphoria and, and I suppose that you understand the implications of, of what that means and then what treatment could mean and all of the various steps that come with that. And I suppose for us in Ireland, we outsource that and, and not, you know, in a, I'm not saying that in a negative way. It's just that we recognize we don't have the experience in Ireland yeah. in that field. So the there's a trust in the UK called the Tavistock uh, Centre or the Tavistock Trust. Um, yeah. And children in Ireland who who are, I suppose, f- who adopt or the child or the family feel it yeah. is gender dysphoric will be referred to that centre to be assessed to see do they meet that criteria? yeah um and the tab stock center was in the, the news recently because of a, a court case but i suppose that's not so much because of the the initial step of, of assessment but it's for the follow-up step so for children under the age of, of 16 yeah who are we'll say who don't identify with their given sex at birth um what they be given is is a family of medicines called uh puberty blockers mm. the puberty blockers have been around an awful long time and they were used for for what we call precocious puberty which is basically going through puberty too early oh yeah okay basically pauses puberty and then we'll say in the case of precocious puberty when you get to the age where you should be going into puberty they're taken away and you're going through puberty as normal but the idea in transgender medicine is that it pauses puberty so you don't become more of the sex you don't want to be yeah and that's probably not the perfect way of putting it but it's as much as i can put it i suppose in in my own words um so if you're born male but i in you feel that you should have been born female the last thing you want to do is become more male yeah so this will cause you into a kind of a a stasis for want of a better word and then when you're an adult you can move on to hormone replacement which is a more definitive treatment and then if you should so wish um surgical interventions which again obviously are are far more um comprehensive again should a person wish to do that and not everybody does but i suppose those are the steps the court case recently in the uk regarding the tavistock center was regarding the use of um puberty blockers and it was felt that the court the finding um the ruling from the court was that they didn't feel that children under the age of 16 are mature enough to make the decision that they should get puberty blockers, which obviously is is a, a big shock to to a lot of people. I mean yeah. you know, we take Ireland a country of about five million people, where we have one centre in Ireland that will see people with children, I should say, who are transgender. The UK is a country of about sixty million people and they also only have one centre. Yeah. So the fact that this one centre is now being told well you can't actually give this one treatment that you have mm-hmm. is a huge blow. The Tavistock Centre would routinely be in the middle of controversies whether it's people who are supportive of, of transgender rights saying you're not doing enough or people yeah. opposed to transgender rights saying what you're doing is apparent. they're often caught in the middle but this was I suppose a very surprising case um, particularly when puberty blockers are reversible I suppose that's the reason they're given for children because you can you know if the, the mythical the unicorn that anti-trans people like to say of the child not realizing that they're not trans and they they yeah. regret it, you know, they regret it years later. You know, if if a child starts in puberty blockers age twelve for toxic, nothing can be permanent until they're sixteen. You know, if they change their mind between twelve and sixteen, it's very very easy to to just yeah. stop medicine and things will progress. They'll progress later than they had, but they'll progress. You know. Yeah. So the fact. This case almost treats the decision like a, a permanent decision. It, it it felt like there was a, an unwillingness to realise the, the intricacies of the treatment, and and that's not trying to give comment on a position a person might or mightn't take, but just on the medical side of things, it's
0: it's a, a temporary thing, and if you stop the medicine, it, it undoes what happens. Yeah. And then yeah, if you were discussing from like a mental health point of view as well, it's going to be so damaging for these uh, young transgender children not be able to pause puberty and go through puberty with the changes of the sex that they don't identify as. I didn't know they'd made that decision. I would looked it up and like read an article after we had discussed it last week, but I didn't realise that they... Were... So like it's definitive now that they're not going to allow under sixteens?
1: It's being appealed in the UK, so... Okay. See what, ...what comes of the appeal. Um, yeah. Now, that only applies to, we'll say, giving puberty blockers, and it applies to the UK. Yeah. so in our a child can still go up to dublin to an endocrine clinic and, and get puberty blockers they get assessed in the tavistock center the assessment i suppose is more of a, a psychiatric mental health kind of assessment so that's unaffected yeah so we, we are okay but yeah I suppose, what else might the tavistock center be stopped doing and what will happen in ireland
0: as, as a result and you know i suppose what could happen in ireland because of this decision that might affect people here yeah um I suppose, yeah, it, it could be a push then to maybe get a center in Ireland ourselves so that we can do these assessments rather than relying on to stock. Because the article I'd read was um, criticizing them for the effectiveness or the speed of their service. And apparently it's like, there's a huge backlog. They're way behind on doing these assessments for young people. And that was an article from 2020. So that's also not a great sign either. That's definitely
1: the case. Um yeah. but to, to be fair to Tavistock, I don't think it's it's from lack of trying. I think it is oh, purely no, definitely not. So you've got everyone want some people want them to do more yeah. and
0: then the other side, some people want them to stop entirely. Yeah. Um so I, I'm glad I'm not working for them. I'd feel attacked and also <laughs> Yeah, I'd say that'd be a tough one to be working there at the moment. Yeah. So the last question I had was just do you have anything else that you would like to add before we finish up? Is there any kind of topics you think we didn't touch on there that you want to bring up?
1: Um Nothing is coming to mind, which isn't a huge shock because that's how I answered pretty much the first four questions in succession. Um, I suppose the UK side of things aside in Ireland, there is kind of a growing um, understanding within the HSE that there is a need for more medicine to support transgender people, not just kids. And there are rules either at the minute or coming available that will work with transgender people. So as opposed to the UK things hopefully will get better in Ireland, I suppose, up to a point, we, we still aren't in a position to offer the assessment initially that gets offered in the Tavistock Centre. We're still not in a position to offer a lot of the surgeries that people are looking for. And there's a long way to go before I think there's a complete understanding from the medical community in Ireland about the, the complex issues that transgender people face, but hopefully there's enough will and motivation to improve things rather than yeah. just be.
0: Where we are. Very good. So moving on to the closing. So the question I'd asked you before we started recording, uh, where can people find you if you want them to find you or if you want um, to advertise anything? I don't think I want to advertise anything too much. people <laughs> want
1: to find me, probably look in a maternity hospital. Um, I, when things return slightly more to normal, uh, yeah. I am a member of Cork Rebels Football Club and it's a good laugh. Um, I'm not exactly their worst player, but I'm in the bottom three for sure. <laughs> But it is good fun. So if anyone fancies a kick around where there's no judgment, no matter how talented you aren't, then come along. Sounds good.
0: By the way, you have to come along and play soccer for me during this. I do not play soccer. (laughs) I'm so bad at soccer. (laughs) Basketball was my game. Like, I'm 6'3". That was the only thing I could do and do kind of well. Um, Actually, by that, I mean, I didn't even play basketball well. I was just tall enough that it seemed like I was good. (laughs) That's the gift, all right. Yeah, that was a handy one. So for any listeners out there who'd like to offer topic suggestions, feedback, or to volunteer to be a guest, um, you can reach out to me on social media. All of the Queertales social media is at QueerTalesPod. So that's on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can email me at QueerTalesPodcast.gmail.com. I put a post up kind of explaining that you can stay anonymous throughout the process. Uh, so if you just want to check that out, that's up on Instagram and Facebook, as far as I know. But yeah, I think we did it there. Did we cover everything to do with being gay and working in the medical fields i hope not i mean no other (laughs) that's true yeah okay we'll leave it open we can let other people decide whether we covered all the topics or not but thank you for being on i really appreciate it thank you and yeah i think we're good to go